seated. How many believe this is how we fight our battles? In the presence of God from a place of victory. I love teaching people that lesson. Man, I might just switch that sermon up right now. I love that we fight from victory, not for victory. I'm going to look at some reactions right now. I want to see if I need to stick on this. How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you. We're going to be doing baptisms in the back parking lot today. It's going to be fun and exciting. If you have not been baptized before, get baptized today right now. Just get right in whatever you got. We'll make sure you'll be okay. We'll make room for you in there. And so this is the thing about Christianity is we don't fight for victory once we become a Christian. So a lot of times people think that. They're thinking, man, I'm fighting for my victory. Pray for me, pastor, to get victory in this situation. But in Christianity, that is not how it works. In Christianity, we fight from victory. The victory's already been given to us. How many believe that? Come on, go to Romans chapter 8, and I'll see if I get to this other sermon. We'll see. Go to Romans chapter 8, and if it's a sermon before the sermon, how many are okay with that? We get two for the price of one today. But uh, let's just see this because we're in a season right now where God just told me to preach uh, extemporaneous, you know, whatever he puts on my heart while I'm in the back. But let's go to Romans chapter 8 because just while I was uh, singing that with you, what an encouragement to remember all that God has done for us and that this is how we fight. Go to, say, verse 28. One of the hardest things about paper Bibles is the paper. You all ever notice that? You know what I'm saying? I can hardly get this paper to turn sometimes. But it's, 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 it's something like you got to hold it every now and then. How many just got to hold their Bible every now and then? You just can't look at it on a digital screen all the time. Sometimes you just got to hold it. You know, you gotta, I got to be old school. Okay, go to verse, let's, let's start in verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, somebody saying the same way. He had just got done talking about adoption, how we are born again brought into the family of God. Now he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So the Bible is not denying that we have weakness. You may be weak, but he is strong. That's going to be the point. You may be in a battle, but he's got the victories. Everybody get that? So we're not saying because we're fighting from victory that we don't have a battle. We know there are battles, but the battles have been won. We're not saying that we haven't had weaknesses or situations come up, but in him we're strong. So it says in the same way. Somebody say in the same way. Thank you. In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And this is where we get two understandings of the Holy Spirit here. Number one, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he, or he is a he. The Holy Spirit is a he, a person, not just some force like Star Wars. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes us to speak in other tongues. How many have been taught before that this is praying in other tongues? I believe it. Now, some people haven't believed this to mean that. They, they say, well, because it's wordless and it's groans, it can't be tongues and languages. But what that simply means is that in your groans, you're not forming words that you would know or understand. These sound to others or even to yourself like wordless groans. That's what it sounds like, but it's the language of heaven. So I've been taught that, and I still hold on to that, and I've heard different arguments for it, but I'm still in the experience. How many know when you have an experience, you're not at the mercy of an argument? I still have the experience that when I don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit can pray through me in groans, in speaking in other tongues, okay? So the Holy Spirit gets our back. Somebody say, the Holy Spirit's got my back. Amen. He's got your back. Now, verse 27, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Once again, the Holy Spirit is not just a it or a force. The Holy Spirit is a person who can actually intercede with God, and we understand that person of God to be the Father. So the Spirit is searching us and knowing us, and the Father is in that knowledge and then the Spirit begins to talk to the Father on our behalf to fulfill the will of God. Some may say it's getting good. Amen. Now go to verse 28. And we know that in how many things? Come on, somebody say all things. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There you see the Trinity. The Spirit is on the inside, searching our hearts, sharing that information with the Father. And then the Son is the one we're being formed into and looking to as our example of what we're supposed to be like. And the Bible says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. How many have been changed and rearranged by the power of God? How many right now are justified, glorified in his presence, receiving back what the enemy took from the garden? And it doesn't stop there. Somebody say, more than conquerors. Come on, let's go on to the next verse. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? See, the things that we just learned, that we're adopted by God, that the Holy Spirit knows our weaknesses and relays those to the Father so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus. What shall we say in response to those things we just learned? If God is for us, who can stand against us? Now, do you understand? We don't fight for victory. I'm not trying to get a victory over the devil today. The victory's already been won. I'm fighting from victory over everything the devil's doing against me. Once you get that, you will fight your battles differently. You will fight your battle from a place of victory instead of from a place of defeat, hoping, hoping that you can get victory. The victory's already yours. How many know today we have victory over the English and that America is free? How many know that? So anytime they try to start some stuff or if they were trying to start some stuff against us, we're fighting from our victory already. Step back, Jack. We already did you wrong last time. You don't want no more of this. We already handled our business with you last time. We already got victory. You want some more of this? You see, that's how we need to look at the enemy. We're already free in Jesus' name. You coming back for more? I'm going to stomp on you in Jesus' name. And as a matter of fact, it's not just good enough for me to be free. I want double for my trouble. I want my neighbor to be free. I want the corner store person to be free. I even want my enemy and my frenemy to get free. Amen. I'm going to plunder your kingdom in Jesus' name and populate heaven. So what are we to say in response to all that God has done for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us how many things? All things, thank you, that we need. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it, the, the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who did we learn in the verses prior is interceding for us? The Holy Spirit. And then he, he, he allows us to participate in that. When we are weak, we can groan out to the Lord, speak in other tongues, and find our strength, and also be comforted that it's not just our prayers going to the Father, it's the Holy Spirit's prayers going to the Father, as well as Jesus' prayers going to the Father. I don't need his mother, and I don't need Peter, and I don't need Saint Anthony. I got the Holy Ghost, and I got Jesus praying for me at the foot of the Father or at his right side. Are you listening? So I already have enough intercessors. I don't need, you know, grandma to intercede for me. I don't need the patron saint of lost things to intercede for me. I've got the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne of God as a river from his foot still flowing from where he is at to where I am, interceding for me. I call the Holy Spirit the Wi-Fi of heaven, getting me connected to the Father. And then I have Jesus at the right hand of the Father, nudging the Father, saying, this is what I want you to do on behalf of this one right here. Father, do it for me. Do it because of how much you love me. And that's your place today. You're, you're coming from a place of victory. And just in case you didn't get it, now you get it. Somebody say, I'm going to get it. Look at verse 34 again. Who can condemn us? Nobody. You can't be condemned. You can't lose this fight of salvation. You can't lose this. God has already secured the victory. Jesus Christ is with us. He was raised to life. If death couldn't hold, death couldn't hold him down, death will not hold you down. He's at the right hand of God interceding. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that's a bad day. 
Come on, that's a bad day. You got trouble. You got persecution. You're hungry. You're naked. You're in danger. Somebody hunting you down with the sword. He made that the worst possible day. Come on, that's a bad day. But he said, shall any of these things come against us? No, the answer is going to be obviously no, but he's going to work it up. He says in verse 36, as it is written, this is the way it is for some people, especially Christians at that time, they were suffering. It says, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So that's what it looks like on the outside. They're hunting us down. They're coming against us. Christians are even to this day being persecuted. But in verse 37, we get the victory and we keep the victory. Somebody say, I got the victory. Read it with me, verse 37. One, two, three. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Come on, can you give it up for Jesus today? I'm more than a conqueror. Jesus, thank you for making me more than a conqueror. Jesus made you more than a conqueror. So you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. You're not going out today to try to get something that, that, that you don't have already and then try to wrestle with the devil to get it. No, the Bible says he's already given it to you, and you need to keep it in Jesus' name and never let the devil take it from you. That's the direction of the believer in the times of battle, and that will change. I'm telling you, that will change the way you fight. Because instead of coming to prayer and asking God, you know, for this thing to be done as if it's not been done, you're going to be coming to God in thankfulness because it's already been done, and you're going to keep it and not lose it. So oftentimes, you know, you and I, we're, we're tempted with anxiety. And if you are a part of somebody's life that's gone through this or, or yourself, you can relate to this because once you have it, once you got that feeling of anxiety, it's hard to remember what it was like before you were anxious all the time. Can anybody relate to that? I remember going through some anxious times, and I thought to myself, man, how was I ever in a state of mind where I wasn't anxious because now all I can do is be anxious? That's all I know is being anxious. I just wish I could be normal and not think about being anxious. Am I talking to anybody here today that's been through something like anxiety, depression, or anything like that, and you, and you get to the point where you can't remember what it was like to be normal, but you wish that you were normal. You wish you could go back to that point before this problem happened. Are you listening to me? And, it, and like I said, it can be anxiety. It can be turmoil of the mind, depression. It can be hurt. It could be something like that. But you are now in a situation or have been there, and you're asking yourself, how do I get back to normal? I don't even know what normal feels like anymore. I just know I need it. But I want you to understand this. That didn't come out of nowhere. You see, our attacks of the mind, even perversion and these kinds of things, they do not come out of nowhere. They come up like weeds. And the problem is we let them grow and become strongholds in our life. And then that now becomes that addiction, that bondage, that depression, that anxiety becomes our new normal. And that's not the way it was meant to be. You and I were meant to face that head on, to be sensitive in the spirit, to know when it was coming against us and say, you cannot take my victory. So it's not like it happened by accident. I don't want anybody to blame themselves, but it was an attack. I know mental illness can come through physical things, and that can be a different discussion, but I want to talk about the anguish of the mind where many of us have gone through, and I'm talking about mine as well, where it was an attack. I knew it was an attack. How many know your mind has been attacked before? How many can relate to being attacked mentally, emotionally? Okay, now I'm talking to somebody. Thank you. Here's the example. You and I are supposed to be so keenly aware of our victory that anything other than victory is supposed to send a red alarm, a red alert rather, sound off the alarms because that's not normal for us. So often we find ourselves in subpar abnormal living and call it normal living that we don't know what it's like to be normal anymore. And what I want you to do is get so used to victory. I want you to get so used to victory that a thought that is not in victory, you're going to tear it down the first time you think about it because victory uh, defeat doesn't feel right. You're only used to victory. So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. An anxious thought can come into your mind and say, well, what about this situation with my finances? And normally, you might think about that, and then all of a sudden, you get into the whirlwind of worrying about finances. See, that's not fighting from victory. 
The moment that thought comes into your mind, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I'm going to be a bad mother or father. My family's going to fall apart. This is not going to work out. The moment that comes in, you take that thought captive in the name of Jesus and say, I am a conqueror in Jesus' name. I will provide for my family in Jesus' name. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Are you tracking with me? And then you stay in victory. Instead of now being all bound up in your mind, all of these thoughts bouncing around, you're like a gerbil on the wheel. You can't get free from it. It's a broken record spinning around. I'm not going to be anybody. I can't make it. This is the way it's always going to be. I've seen someone else go through this, and they didn't make it. Man, I'm next. This is going to break me. Instead of that becoming your cycle and you getting all tore up, going, Jesus, set me free. I need your help right now. You're going to go rewind that thing. Somebody say, back that thing up. You're going to back that thing up to where it first came from, to where it first came from and say, you little thought, you can't take me from my victory. You can't take me from what God's already done for me. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Somebody say, make it plain. Because when I was talking about anxiety, you all act like you're tough. Nobody got anxiety, but I'm going to make it real plain right now talking about lust, okay? You see, people come to me as a pastor right on the edge of adultery. This is where they come to me. Oh, pastor, help me. Now I'm confused. I don't know if I'm in the right marriage relationship or I'm a single dude. I don't know if, if me and my girlfriend are going too far. They, this is where they come to me right on the edge. And then they say, oh, now I need to pray. I need to get my mind right. I need to get free. I need to get victory. This is not where you start praying. Somebody say, back that thing up. Boop. This is where you pray. This is where you fight your battles, away from that edge. Before you ever got drug out there to where now you this close to backsliding, you this close to throwing it all away, you take that thing all the way back here and you learn to live here in purity. Don't let your mind even go beyond your marriage. Don't think what ifs. Oh, did I marry the wrong person? Oh, this would feel good. You fight the battle right here from victory. Before you get drugged by the devil over here in defeat, now you're screaming out. But how many know God still has mercy? Even when we do it wrong, he still has mercy on us. But that's not the way we're supposed to fight our battles. God said that he has given us wisdom and understanding and discernment. The Bible also says that he doesn't lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. And so this is what I've understood as a Christian, what maturity looks like. What maturity looks like is standing in your victory and not being drugged along by temptation to the edge of defeat. And that's what I heard today in the song. So I want to make sure everybody has that. This is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles from victory. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. And you better say me. Somebody say me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. See, we are a Christian people sanctified by Christ, made victorious in Christ, now called to live our, our lives free from the fear of being defeated by the things of this world. Love puts a pep in our step. Love turns our frown upside down. Love makes us feel like David and we can go take on Goliath because we know our God loves us. We know he takes care of us. And so often when I preach a message like this, people say back to me, but pastor, you don't understand my situation. Man, mine's so complicated. I don't see how God could fix it like that. All I have to say to those that are here today, number one, we're glad that you're here. You're building up your faith. You're hearing something that you wouldn't have heard staying home. Can I hear an amen? We're happy that you're here, uh, little old doubting Thomas, okay? Little old doubting Ray Ray, little old doubting Bobby. I'm glad that you're here, little doubting thing, you. But listen, listen. There are testimonies here from people's lives that were just where you were at, if not worse, and God did it for them, and guess what? He'll do it for you. He will. He will because it starts with that mustard seed of faith where you believe that God does that for you. 
where you put your name into this scenario. And I know it may seem cheesy for those who have been brought up in the church because we've been taught these kinds of things, but I think they work for a reason. But so often we need to go back to these passages and we need to put our name in the scriptures. We need to put our situation is there. Joe is convinced. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor my landlord or my debt collector or my baby mama, you know, I am convinced that neither the mayor nor the governor, are you tracking with me, nor my student loans or my debts or my boss or my, you know, my crazy friend on Facebook, none of these people, none of these things will be able to separate me separate me right here, right now from the love of God. God is with me. The Holy Spirit is with me. The Holy Spirit is interceding. That's why the Bible says you're never alone. When Jesus speaking, he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and then he fulfilled that by sending the Holy Spirit to us. I believe that the Holy Spirit helps us to experience that victory even when the situations around us look like defeat. That's not mind over matter. That's not just PMA, positive mental thinking. Well, I just think everything's going to work out okay. All my problems are going to disappear. That's like throwing a quarter in the wishing well. That's not Christianity. We're not here just hoping on the lottery. The Bible says, as we just read, that the Holy Spirit is searching your hearts. Scroll up there, please, so we can see it again and build some theology on this. Keep on going, please. That the Holy Spirit is searching our heart and interceding to us, uh, for us directly to the Father who is hearing everything the Holy Spirit knows about us. Look at verse 27. It says, and he who searches our hearts. Somebody say, God knows. See, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. See, the Spirit has a mind. The Spirit of God is inside of you with his mind searching your heart to share those situations with the Father. In real time, are you all getting that? In real time, right now, you and I can easily say to ourselves, nobody knows the problems I face there's a tear in my beer, and I'm missing you, dear. You know, we could all sing these sad blues country songs. Nobody knows what I'm going through, man. You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. How many know that, that around 100,000 people commit suicide a year? There's a lot of deaths going on through suicide. How many know they got all different reasons? You talk to this one over here, why'd you commit suicide? Well, I was a 55-year-old white male privileged, and I lost my will to live after having all the money and all this and that. You know, you hear a story like Robin Williams, right? Like here's, here's this dude committed suicide because of this. How many know you can flip the, you know, the story, go over to somebody 13 years old? living somewhere where she got bullied and she commits suicide. And then you can flip the script over here. Here's somebody else. I mean, suicide, depression, these kinds of things affect all of us in different ways. And it's true. Nobody knows your problems like you do. And, and you can share them with others, and it's biblical to share it with others. But listen, I cannot be your answer to that problem. And a lot of times people think, the pastor, you're the answer to that problem. You know, pastor, if I could just get you to talk to this person, and we don't mind, we will do it. If it's not me personally, we have a lot of pastors on staff. We're going to make sure someone talks to that person because we believe in, in preaching the gospel. But even in that situation where we're there offering the human touch, the human words and all of that, the one that knows the problem, the one who knows the heart is the Holy Spirit. And that's where I think we lose our faith in God because we don't think he knows. We don't think he understands. Like sometimes we feel like, God, let me tell you how bad this is right now. Let me convince you how bad I need you. Seriously, sometimes you hear people pray like that in church. God, it just hurts so bad. God, everybody's left me down. Like he doesn't know what you've been through. See, the prayer of faith starts with this, this phrase right here, God, you know. Have you ever started off a prayer of faith in the time of weakness and started off the right way and said, God, you know? I remember when my sister died drinking and driving, and my mother woke me up at 5 in the morning to let me know I was on a break during Bible college. The hardest day of my life, I'll never forget it, being woken up to my mother, you know, just hysterically crying, barely getting the words out. 
me asking her, why are you crying? Her repeating the name of my sister, Jenny, Jenny, over again. And then finally, she says, Jenny died. I just got the call. She was drinking and driving. I went from my bed to grabbing my mom's shoulder to sliding on my knees with my mom next to my bed. And you know what the prayer was right at the beginning? God, you know. God, you understand. You see what we can't see or can explain. The pain in our hearts. It's real. The weaknesses that we feel on this earth. And what the devil will try to get us to think is that because your pastor doesn't know, because the elder, the deacon doesn't know, that means the Holy Spirit doesn't know. The devil's a liar. I can't know. It's impossible. And I will let you down if you come to me in your weakness to, to have me be your solution. And that's where people get let down and they blame it on God. But it was really just you putting the wrong pressure on the wrong person. I can't take your pressure. I'll break under your same pressure. Man, you might be going through something ten times worse than what I've ever been through. And, and seriously, you might be telling me your problems. I'll say, oh, dear God, we're hopeless we, it was just me. No, I'm hopeless now too, man. You scared me. I'm sad now as well. I'm being honest. We have Sister Lauren here. She was going through cancer. Her mom sadly died of cancer. One of the family relatives who had been there for her mom during her battle with cancer as her mom passed called her up to, to console her, but she was so hysterical. Lauren had to turn and comfort her and say, you're going to be all right because it can freak you out. Are you listening? But you have to have faith. You see, the prayer of faith starts off with, God, you know. Lord, I'm not coming to my brother. I'm not coming to my mother. I'm not coming to any saint of the past. I'm not coming to anybody else. I'm coming to you first. And I'm not coming with all my doubts, my fears, all of that you already know. What I'm coming with is a mustard seed of faith and saying, you know my heart. God, you already know why I'm here. You already know why this situation broke me down the way it did. And now, Lord, I'm asking you to keep me, to hold me, to protect me from the enemy. You see how that's a different kind of prayer. It's not denying that you're going through problems. It's not denying that there are situations happening around you. But you're coming to God in your victory. And then what you will begin to understand, as we have seen the testimonies in this church, is that what will begin to happen when you pray like that is you'll begin to have the sense of the Holy Spirit coming through even maybe the tears and the groans that you're going through. There may be some groaning, but it's the groaning of you holding on. Are you listening? It's not the groaning of death. It's the groaning of life. It's the groaning that you're having God work this situation out for you and trusting him with the details. How many have groaned in the presence of the Lord, but it felt good to get it out? It wasn't just a pity patty party. It was letting the Holy Spirit bring out all that your weakness was so that he could give you his strength. And then when we are in those situations, then we can say, God, I know that you know. You know these situations that I'm facing, but I choose to believe, not the circumstance. I choose not to believe the situation is greater than my identity. I choose to believe I am who you said I am and that I can do what you said I can do. Lord, I'm going to start praising you and thanking you because on the cross, you took my sins, you took my sorrows, you took my sickness. You were buried and rose again so that I might have new life. Today, I'm more than a conqueror. There's no demon from hell that can separate me from your love. No situation I'm facing today. And then from that place, what happens in Christianity is you begin to build up a repertoire or a reputation with the Lord. Somebody say God's rep is good. You begin to start putting some stars next to God's name. You know, sometimes people get too happy when they can judge a church and put stars next to the church. Oh, I've been waiting for this. You get three stars, First Baptist. You let me down. Have you ever read church reviews? They'll make you laugh or cry, one or the other. But I want to be honest with you. God, for his name's sake, wants you to see his glory. He wants you to begin to see that he's been good. Not that you judging him in that way changes his goodness, but he wants to show you that he's a good father. And then what you'll be able to do, like through that situation I was talking about with my sister and drinking and driving, is you'll begin to be able to rate God on how he did in that situation from your perspective. And you'll say, God, man, that was a five-star situation right there. You came through in the clutch. You kept me in my right mind. You blessed me. You turned the situation around. Now I'm able to 
use this as a testimony. And then guess what? Next time you get into a situation, you go back to that five-star review and say, if God did it that time, he's going to do it again this time. Does anybody here have a five-star review of what God's been doing in their life? Let's not get it twisted. He's a good God whether you recognize it or not. I'm not saying that we're here now making God our servant. We are servants of God. But I'm, I'm letting you know this. God is confident enough in his ability that he will say, test me in these things and then prove himself so that you can see his reputation is good. That's why I'm here today, just to be honest with you, just to be very clear with you. I had already left the church as a young adult. 11 years old, started smoking, getting in trouble. By the time I was 13 and 14, kissing girls in the church parking lot. By the time I was 16 and 17, dealing drugs in the church parking lot. And by the time I was 18, I was a high school dropout, getting arrested. Me and God weren't talking. I wasn't down with being a Christian. There was no tradition to keep me there. I was out. I was done. But God brought me back in. God used my praying mother through, through the devastation of drugs and partying and through the rejection that I had faced in my weakest moment. God used my mother to remind me of the God that I had heard about when I was a child. And that's why today when I got this gray hair, I'm still testifying about what he did in the 18-year-old and how I got high off the most high and I haven't looked back. Are you listening? So that's why I can say to you right now, he's better than my best solution to my own problems. My solution to my problems was more drugs, more alcohol, more partying. Yours might have been more money, more education, more influence. Whatever your situation was, or maybe just more tradition, more niceanity, being more nice to people. But all of us here can relate to letting ourselves down, to being defeated. But Jesus Christ came in the clutch. He rescued us. How many are glad you're rescued by Jesus Christ? Amen. Man, I was only saved just a few months, and then I started going to a halfway house. The first place I ever preached was a halfway house. Man, I probably could have looked around and been like, dude, I was just smoking drugs with you the other day. <laughs> but seriously, they told me, they said, Joe, you're so excited about Jesus. Will you come to this place where we minister to the drug addicts while they're in a home? Will you come and minister with us? I don't even, I don't even think at that time I really knew I was called to preach or that I was ever going to do this. I know God had a dramatic call in my life a few months later. I went to Bible college. But in this timeline, I don't even think yet I knew what I was going to do. They just saw an excitement in me as a young man, 18 years old, excited for Jesus. And they said, man, will you come and talk to these other people? And I remember coming up to them, like I said, almost being able to say, hey, I was with you last month. You know, I, I could have been there with you last week. It was with, within a, just a few weeks or a month or so. But I remember testifying to them, and I remember my testimony wasn't probably all polished. It wasn't probably all sophisticated. It was something probably like this. Hey, guys, I was messed up, but Jesus fixed me. I was losing my mind, but Jesus told me he loved me. Now I can go to sleep at night. I thought I was going to die, but Jesus gave me a taste of everlasting life, and I'm not letting go of it. In other words, I was like that beggar that found some bread and was running back to the other beggars going, hey, there's a place over here where you can get something to eat. It wasn't until later on in my life that I got to get all sophisticated, get the big words, know where the scriptures are at and things like that. But I still haven't lost that heart to know, man, God did it. I'm not a Muslim because Muhammad didn't do jack for me. I'm not a Buddhist because Buddhist didn't, Buddha didn't do anything for me. I'm not a Hindu because, you know what, Hinduism didn't do anything for me. I am a Christ follower because Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later, after he rose from the dead, came into my heart and changed my life. I got a testimony that Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still changing lives. And I believe that that baton is getting passed from generation to generation. That's why now I look back and I'm like, man, I was just looking at a book in my library today. It was written in 1985. I, got, uh, I was born in, in 77, so how old would I have been? I would have been eight years old. There was already pastors writing books before I even knew I needed that book. You see, this has been a baton being passed down from generation to generation. So don't think to yourself right now that Christianity is something that we're just propping up with our man-made tradition. 
The reason why there's always new preachers, the reason why there's always new churches, the reason why there's always new Bible studies, it's because those baptism tanks keep coming with people that are testifying about what Jesus Christ did for them. When you hear those testimonies in the baptism tank, nobody is paying them, nobody's mama's forcing them. They're going into that tank because they know what God has done for them. I remember talking with some of our teenagers in the church that were coming because their parents wanted them to come. And I'm thankful for church kids. How many of you were a church kid? You had to go whether you wanted to or not. Mom was taking you. Dad was taking you. That's just the way it was. I'm thankful for that. But I remember talking to the church kids because I said, hey, listen to me. You church kids want to get out of church. But we got people here where their mom's on drugs. Some people don't even know their dads. They're catching three buses just to come to church. I said, what do you think the difference is? What do you think they know that you don't know? Because you wish you could just listen to whatever you want to. You could just do whatever you want to. I I said, some of our young people that are in this church lived in homes. They could come and go as they please. They could do what they want. But like I said, they're catching buses to come here. What do you think they know that you don't know? How How about maybe they figured out that the life out here is not what it's all cracked up to be? That YouTube video looks all shiny and glittery with them doing all that, but they don't show you what they look like in the clinic the next day, do they? You know, Robin Williams, as I mentioned before, man, that dude was hilarious, but they didn't show you him hanging himself because no worldly pleasure can compare to the things of this, of what God is offering, to the kingdom of God, to this kingdom. The kingdom of the world is darkness. The kingdom of God is light. There's no comparison. That's a wrap. I don't care what gay rapper is doing what today. I already know Jesus Christ. I know what he's done for me, and I know sexual perversion is not going to set me free. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? It's always being repackaged in some slick way to get us to think we're missing something. And we're not. We have all that we need in Jesus Christ. We have the victory. And so today as Vinny comes back up in this, you know, a spontaneous sermon, I just want to encourage you, if you don't have victory in Jesus Christ, to receive the victory, to be born again, to start your life a second time, to be born again anew, and this time with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Not because you have to. Not because somebody forced you into this thing called religion, but because you want to. You want Jesus. You want the Holy Spirit to touch you. All of these things we read now, I mean, I can go so deep into this, but I just feel led of the Lord to tell you my testimony again. So when I first became a Christian, I understood that Jesus, he died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. But honestly, I didn't understand why my parents did what they did. They spoke in tongues. They prayed for the sick. They went out and did all of these awesome things for God. So in my mind, it was like, well, that was what they did. I didn't understand that that was really for me. I was just like, okay, that's cool. That's what my mom does. You know, my mom raises her hands in church. And I remember being in church watching people raise their hands, and I was embarrassed. I was like, I don't want to raise my hands. I mean, I love Jesus, but, you know, that's just not what I do. And I think I've told you guys this before, but God said to me, what did you used to do in the club? (laughs) What did you used to do in the club? What did you used to do out there when you were at those house parties? Why, Why are you being all shy now? Come on. I would be out my mind dancing all crazy, wilding out. I didn't care who saw me. And Jesus like, now you're worrying about whether or not you can raise your hands in church. You're going to feel silly or not. So he said, you should just raise your hands like your mom did because your mom's experienced me longer than you have. Just trust her. She's raising her hands for a reason. So I just began to raise my hands. But then I read the Bible later, and it said, you know, raise your holy hands unto the Lord. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from the DJ. Throw them hands in the air. Uh, wave them around like you don't. I don't come from the DJ. Raise your hands in the air is for us unto God. That comes before the DJ. So I was a new Christian, and I didn't understand those things were for me. Speaking in tongues, experiencing the presence of God. But within a few days, I started to realize I needed a helper. I needed someone who knew me from the inside out that could give me the words to speak when I didn't have the words to speak. And I would have the Holy Spirit just begin to mess with me. I don't say this in a disrespectful way, but how many of y'all have understood the Holy Spirit will mess with you? The Holy Spirit will have you in the shower crying, saying, thank you, Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit will have you pull over your car so you can just shout hallelujah, clap your hands and stomp your feet. I'm just being honest with you. I remember calling up the hotlines of the televangelists pretending I caught the Holy Ghost so I can make fun of them. That was the stupid stuff I would do with my friends. Let's call them up and pretend we're one of them or pretend we got demons and all types of weird stuff. But I began to understand why people stomped their feet. It's because you had to remind the devil he's underneath your feet. I started realizing why people had to shake and jump. It's because it feels like you touch electricity when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. I started to realize why people had to shout. It's because they had to bypass all the voices they were hearing and just say, God is good. Devil, you're a liar. And just begin to speak it so their own ears believed it. Because sometimes you couldn't see what you were already praying for being done, but you knew you had to speak it out. Tell yourself, I won't always be on drugs, devil. I'm free. I'm more than a conqueror. I remember shouting out those things in the first couple of months not knowing that all of this that I see now, 20 plus years of Christianity had already been mapped out. And Jesus was just there saying, you got this son. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep speaking my word. Our heavenly father gave us the the son and the spirit to make us more than conquerors. And so if you don't know Jesus, know him, talk to him. That's why I love this church, so many young adults. You know it's real when we have this many young adults coming to church. We, we have always been blessed by young adults. And sometimes, sometimes little old, older people, you know, those that got gray hair even more so than me, they say, oh, pastor, I don't know if there's anything here for me. Yeah, there's something here for you. Talk to all these young people about what God's done in your life. You bored? Take one of these young people out and share your testimony with them. If you want a nursing home church, there's one down the road. That's like the Rotary Club. But if you want to raise up sons and daughters for the Lord, some of us with gray hair, take one of these young people out of the baptism tank today for lunch and pray for them, lay your hands on them, and then tell them what you've seen God do in your life for the last 30, 40 years. Because I want to share with all you young people here today, you don't stay young forever. All the older people here can say amen to that. I'm telling you, I never thought I would have gray hair like this. But you do. You get older. And, and sadly, wisdom doesn't always come with age. I've seen a lot of old, dumb people. Seriously. I've seen a lot of people. They're old, but they're dumb. Man, it's like, how did you make it through life being so dumb? You don't understand anything. Right? You look at them, and you're like, man, you're just old and dumb. I feel sorry for you. Because being old doesn't make you smart. It doesn't. It doesn't make you wise. You're supposed to get it through age, yes, as you walk with the Lord. And so there should be a difference in us who are more aged. As the Bible says, gray hair represents the wisdom because we have been through this. But I want to tell you, age by itself will not mentor you and change you and develop a new mindset in you. You can't just say, I'm going to grow up out of this. That's not true. Sometimes people look at all of this that's going around and they're going, it's just a phase. No, it's not. Some people are going to make lifelong decisions right now in their young adult years that are going to haunt them the rest of their life, and they're never going to be free from it. I have friends, I mean, just something as simple as this. I have friends that are addicted to putting cigarettes in their mouth because they thought it was cool when they were in fifth grade. Think about that. They've been smoking over 30 years. They've been inhaling toxins into their body because they made a dumb decision way back then and they were dumb at 11 years old. Now they're dumb at 40 years old. Are you listening? So age will not change your situations. But today as a young person, I want to speak specifically to the young adults and the young people. If you give the days of your youth to God, you will never regret it. You will never regret serving God. You will see God do things in your life which you have heard maybe in the scripture and you will say the same thing because I have said it so many times. No, I have seen this. No ear has ever heard this, what God has just done. You will see God over and over and over again do things that you never imagined. When I first got saved as a young adult, I couldn't have imagined. Lucas, would you stand up for me? Let's give it up for my oldest boy right here, nine years old. He's shy. He's a church kid. Stretch your hands toward him and say, help him, Jesus. He's acting shy. You may sit down, cool cat. 
The only way I ever thought I was going to get one of those is if the condom broke. Let's be real. That's the only way I thought I was going to get one of those because as a, as a young man, I wasn't going to have a kid on purpose. Are you crazy? But now I have six of them. And I don't have enough in Jesus' name. I want some more, praise God. Talk to my wife, the baby factory. Let's see what's up. Let's get some more. We're not done. I mean, you think I understood that? No, but God said, I got something inside of you, Joe, that the devil's trying to take from you. You see, as God plants in us his potential and his purpose, the devil sees it and he comes to attack us and to take it from us. Why is it that we see especially in the American culture, so many talented people that once used to be Christians and now they're wasting their talents on all these things. Because as young adults, they got convinced, the only way I'll be happy with my music gift, the only way I'll be happy with this artistry, the only way I'll be happy with my creativity is if I do it this way. And the devil's such a liar. So don't believe the lie, young people, that over time, over, over your age, you're going to change. Because that's actually not true. I've seen hard hearts get harder over age. Can I hear an amen from some older people? The, the grumpy old man, you know, reputation is true. How many met some grumpy old people? I met some nice old people, but not all pe old people are nice. I'm serious. You don't get nicer just because you get old. Some abuelas are crazy, amen? Some abuelas are bad. Some of them serious here. Some, some grandpas are crazy. They're perverse. They're naughty. I remember going into my grandpa's... Uh, barn. My grandpa was a farmer and he had Playboy magazines up. Playboy calendars rather. My grandpa. If my grandpa didn't repent, my grandpa's in hell. Are you listening to me? God doesn't say to grandpas on judgment day, well, you were a grandpa. You know what I'm saying? Oh, granny didn't look the same anymore. No wonder you had to have a Pamela Anderson up there. No, man, that's wickedness. But you see what I'm saying? It was passed down from generation to generation. It's okay to be perverse. It's okay to be this way. And then they, they maybe think to themselves, well, when I get married, I'll stop lusting. No, man, this is my grandpa. Got nudie pictures up in the barn. 75-year-old man. How many know stupid is as stupid does? God have mercy on us. Young people serve God now. And then everybody here that's not young serve God now because you're not promised tomorrow either. You know, sometimes I, I hate to be sassy. I hate to be sassy, but sometimes when I'm preaching, some old dude will walk by and, like, flick us off or something. And I'm like, dude, you about ready to meet Jesus. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you right now? A strong Chicago wind will blow you over, knock you on your head, and send you to meet Jesus. Because, you know, I'm always out there like, hey, man, you want to talk about Jesus? You want to talk about Jesus? Nah, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I'm like, dude, you about ready to meet him. You better, you better stop and talk about him right now. Get to know something about your judge. It's a true story. I don't know about you, but I like to see where, you know, I used to grow up. I'm sometimes sentimental. So I went back to my hometown with my wife, and I said, this is the house I grew up in. She's like, oh, that's cool. You want to go talk to him and see if we can go inside? And I'm like, sure, why not? That's a cool idea, right? It's a little bit weird, a little bit strange, but I'm willing to try it. I'm that crazy white friend. How many have a crazy white friend? Anybody? I'm that crazy white friend. Knock on the door. Hey, man, can I come in here and see the house? So that's what I did. And then the older lady, she's like, yeah, you can come on in and see the house. It was an older lady. She let me in. We're looking at my old bedroom and all these different things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then at the end, I'm like, this is such a beautiful house. Is it just you or do you have a family that stays here with you? And she was like, oh, I had my husband. But he went out one day to get the newspaper, and there was ice on the front step and he slipped and he hit his head and died right there. Talk about ruining a sentimental moment. Grandpa died on my front porch. But you see, you're not promised tomorrow. Just think about that for a minute. That old dude thought he was going to get a newspaper and head back in and do the next thing, get his coffee, and then do the next thing, and then go out over here to the next thing. He thought in his mind there was probably a whole lot of time left as he went down to pick up that newspaper. But that was his time to go meet his maker. Baptism reminds us that we're all going to die and that everyone is going to face judgment but we're all not going to have eternal life. Some of us are going to die twice, once in the flesh and then once spiritually forever in hell. 
The others, we're going to live twice. Live once on earth and then live forever with Jesus Christ. So you're going to get double of whatever it is. You're either going to get double of life or you're going to get double of, li- of death. I say we double up on life. And what baptism represents is us going into the grave like our Lord and Savior did. Being cleansed of our sins because he went there for us. And then coming up new, washed and clean to live the life that he has for us. So that whenever we are going to meet him, whenever that appointment with death comes and we cannot stop it, we're ready to be with our Lord and Savior. And now until then, we're going to be more than conquerors. We're going to be who God called us to be. Amen. Would you stand up? Give it up for Jesus today. Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Come on, do you believe it? Say thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him if you believe he's been good. If you believe he's worth living for. And today we're dying for. Give it up for Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Father, we thank you so much for sending your son. Who then sent the Holy Spirit so that we could have the triune experience with our Lord and Savior, our God, that we could know the Father, know you, know your Son, know the Spirit. I thank you, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, I ask you today to send the Holy Spirit to test everyone's heart so that if anyone is here today, even as maybe they came to support someone for baptism, they might have come to support Holy Spirit, but search their heart to see if they're ready Because if they're not ready, Holy Spirit, let them be convicted today to become a Christian, to become a Christ follower, a follower of the Son. A few moments right now, pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus to know Jesus, whether you know you're standing next to them or they're in your neighborhood or in your family. Come on. And those who know it's you, the Holy Spirit's working on you. He's touching you. He's searching you. Just begin to call out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, save me. Come on up here, Jason. Sing that over the mic. Have your way. That's what we need to hear today. I just heard that man of God, and I want to hear that over this microphone, please. And thank you. We're going to start to worship as Jason begins to come up here. I love this, brother, so much. Thank you, man of God. Always use that voice for the Lord. Would you just sing from the Spirit, whatever you were singing? Come on, those who don't know Jesus, keep talking to Jesus right now. Those who already know him, say, Lord, save somebody who doesn't know you yet. We're going to worship right now, and then we're going to close out in prayer to do baptisms. But I want to make sure everybody knows Jesus. Come on. Satan, I command you to loose every person in here that's been going through a battle. Loose them in the name of Jesus. It's our habit in this church that if you need prayer for anything, you can begin to come up even now. Especially those who who want to become a Christian, you can come up right now. But let's keep praying for those to know Jesus who don't know him. Lord, we pray for our community to know you. We pray for our friends and family to know you. Oh, Lord, we pray for everyone to know you. Do it, God. I pray for more testimonies like you did in my life. Five-star reviews. Now, if you're here today and you know Jesus, but you're going through something and you want someone to pray with you so the Holy Spirit can work on you, come on up. You might be going through a sickness. You might be going through a trial of finances. You might be going through a depression or anxiety. Let us pray for you today. You're not alone. His arms are open wide for you. Someone up here will pray for you. That's right. His 